San Bonani Makaya. <laughs> San Bonani. Huyanand. Uh, good evening. How do you, what did somebody else already, what do you say? I don't know. Anyway, hello and welcome um, to the new episode of Africa's a Country Talk. I'm Sean Jacobs um, and I'm streaming from, guess where? Cape Town, South Africa. No Let way. Where's that? that? Where's, where's Cape Town um, again? Cape Town, South Africa, behind the colonized curtain. <laughs> 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 I've been in Cape the Town. Look at us in a minute. My impressions of Cape Town in a minute, but let me let me. So this, I'm yeah, as I said, I'm in Cape Town, South Africa, and my co-host is um, William Shoki or Will Shoki. He is in Johannesburg, um, South Africa. Africa's a country talk is a weekly talk and interview show. We broadcast every Tuesday at 7 p.m. East African time, 5 p.m. in Dakar, and I can actually say with pleasure, 6 p.m. In Johannesburg or Cape Town in South Africa. Our show is produced as always by Antoinette Engel, who's also in Cape Town, South Africa. So there you have it. I'm in Cape Town, South there Africa. And for episode 45, a momentous occasion where Sean and I are not only in the same time zone, but on the same soil. It feels great. In the same country, uh, in the same country. Exactly. And speaking about being on the same land, in a few moments, we're going to talk to the makers of a new film about land struggles in Southern Africa, Boa Monjane, as well as Kurt Audison. We are seriously looking forward to that. And then we're also gonna to talk to a repeated guest of the program, Dylan Valley, who's an Africa's a Country board member about a new web series competition called Black Women Disrupt the Web. Uh, and if you missed our episode last week, we were joined by two of our inaugural class of ASE fellows, Yulendri Apasami and Liam Brickhill. And with Yulendri, we spoke about the diversity and the history of South African Indian identity. And with Liam, we spoke about the legacy and the role of cricket in Zimbabwe. And that episode, as always, is on, available on our YouTube channel. But be sure to subscribe to our Patreon for all of the episodes from our archive and to support our work more generally. So before we're going to get to the show, uh, which I think is going to be a good one, Sean, we want to discuss very quickly what's happening on South Africa's doorstep, which really hasn't been receiving as much media coverage as it should be. I think somebody actually said this week yeah, in South Africa, she said, why don't we switch the cameras off in Nkandla, which if you don't know, uh, Will is like shaking his head. Because since I arrived in South Africa um, to see that the Constitutional Court uh, had um, found the former president of South Africa, Jacob Zuma, in contempt of court, and he had to report to a police station for a 15-month jail sentence, but then he quickly pulled like a like the usual Zuma stunt. He he declared somehow that this was an illegal court. I mean, I can't even go into all the detail, but the point was just he's still out. Uh, it's on the it's on the news all day, every day. He took over the news cycle and we, on Sunday. And we were we were we we covered this very briefly last week with Dan. And we were joking, yes. like, okay, we'll see what happens over the weekend. I think at the time, neither of us thought that it was going to become this dominant story. We thought it, he was going to go to prison. We thought at this point he had accepted. No, I didn't. I, didn't. I, I think uh, I, may have, I, I, I I was optimistic. I, I won't lie to you. I was a bit optimistic. He's not going to jail. He's not going to jail. I told many people who were like, oh, he's going to jail. I was like, no. 
this guy has no th this guy has no intention of ever going to any jail he's going to drag out these cases he also has sort of a knack of of so two quick things on him so and then i'll say because the point i was going to make is somebody said on twitter we need to switch off the tv cameras from Mkandla and we need to switch on the tv cameras in eswatini in other words we need to talk about what is going on in swaziland and i don't want us to make the same mistake of talking about <laughs> this the sideshow, the Trumpian sideshow in South Africa. Um, and we should talk about Swaziland, and I will in a minute, but I just wanted to say about um, Jacob Zuma, I think it's there's many things you can say about him, and just like two things. One is, or three things. One is the way in which I think he has a habit of um, exploiting what I think are shortcomings in the media setup in South Africa at the moment, which is that the media is kind of underfunded, juniorized, and so they're not doing real news stories and they need to fill. So we have these like new things like the news channels, you know, the kind of the 24 hour news channels, they need content, SABC news, and one is called ENCA. I've had enough time to watch them this week and they don't have content. So anything that's live, that's supposedly live, they'll follow it. And I think Zuma and his advisors totally understand this because what he did was to create enough uh, uncertainty among the people that somehow he was a victim or that this is a this is a continuation of some kind of political vendetta against him and so he sees the moment and he 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 he, he used that trick of live tv which is that i'm gonna do something at such an hour and so that that's like an event like a t if you read media yeah. theory yeah. you hear about it, a, t a media event so he created a media event which is i'm gonna talk to the nation at six o'clock and so then everybody's kind of like talking about the event till six o'clock and then this kind of event where he just makes the wild allegations happen. But it meant he took over the, the news cycle for the day. And the quick other point is the way in which I think him and his supporters, like how cynical they are. Um, and again, this, you know, of course, it's their prerogative to be cynical, but the way they sort of do this game of saying, oh, uh, if, if a white judge is on the <laughs> rules in their favor, it's a judge. And that judge is, is uh, should, you know, the, there's a minority opinion judge just thrown, I think is her name. And so they were just like quoting her left, right and center. Had she ruled against them, she's a white judge. Then at the same time, the black judges who they thought were with them, Mpembe and um, Jafta, were the ones who like read the judgment. So then, ah, no, they captured. So, I mean, th there's too much here for, for people who are not South Africans to follow, but it is it is just incredible, the cynicism. I I thought it was a sideshow, but at some level, I'm kind of thinking that they are destroying some of the legitimacy. They've probably done it already, that many of these institutions um, are enjoying, like within kind of, you know, like trying to build, nurture, and establish these democratic institutions, I think that they are destroying them in the process with their repeated court cases and so on. So in any case, what is going on in Swaziland is so Swaziland, which is an absolute uh, monarchy um, ruled by this, this, uh, this guy's called King Swati III. Um, and the, the story there is basically, it is an anomaly in the region. Again, you know, there are one party states around here. There are, um, kind of nominally states that I think that operate like dictatorships, but this is an absolute monarchy. The king owns basically everything, owns a stake in everything. Any foreign corporation that wants to do business in Swaziland has to give him a cut. His family, 
the the Dlaminis, they run like they they are the you know the prime minister, uh, the full cabinet. Uh, they they have a system by which they appoint MPs to the to the legislative assembly, um, which all these people are essentially flunkies of the king. All opposition is banned, particularly uh, legitimate opposition. You know the, the the kind of radical opposition like Pudemo, which is a sort of the equivalent of like a kind of a Southern African liberation movement. Um, they they are prohibited. This has been the case, um, actually, to be honest, since 1973. There's been some amendments um, to the political system. At the same time, for regular people, 26% HIV um, infection rate. Um, the 12th, I think I saw something like it's the 12th worst life expectant expectancy rate in the world. Um, and there's a really good film, which is it's slightly dated now from 2007 called Without the King. It was made by Michael, um, I think Skolnick. And I, I think we tweeted it on our Twitter account that I could recommend where you can just see this kind of imbalance in the, the lifestyle of the king and his family, shopping trips to Singapore, um, cars, private airplanes, the king's daughter who acts as the minister of information. I was calling her back that Bob on Twitter the other day, um, <laughs> make rap songs and pretending to be a rapper. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not a great situation. And it, it seems like the people of Swaziland essentially had had enough. This started like last month and for at least a month now they've been protesting. Very few people have paid attention to this because it's a really small country. I read somewhere today that it's something like uh, 200 miles um, long. It's a really small country surrounded by, mostly by South Africa and by Mozambique. Um, and it's sort of the way that it's reported usually is like, oh, they have some quaint traditions every year, like a reed dance, I think. And then they have another ceremony where the king picks a wife. Uh, he has multiple wives. Um, and then there's this kind of way in which they've, they're, the rule of the kings uh, of the Swazi royal family has been sort of mystified as sort of like, oh, they're different. Um, and it was partly because, and I'll, I'll, I'm going on and on here, but the king's father uh, was this guy called Sabuza um, mm -hmm. II, who ruled for 82 years. He was the longest serving monarch in Africa. He did fight for independence from the British. Um, uh, they got independence in 1968, but he himself was a tyrant but he was always presented like a good tyrant. So I don't know if people remember the song, Blues for a Hip King by Abdullah Ibrahim. That's about him. So he was, you know, he was, he sheltered liberation movements for, like Frelimo, the ANC, the, Frelimo from Mozambique, the ANC from South Africa. And so people I think never really paid attention to Swaziland. And I think when the new king, king came in in the late eighties, they were kind of like, oh, he's young. He speaks English. I think he went to some school in England. So it was that yeah, usual. Sherborne, which is such a prestigious. Yeah, kind of daily school. mail writing was done about them. And, you know, everybody who's a lot of people from the diaspora went down there because like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, Erika Badu, Jadakis. They're like hanging out with the king. They're with the royalty. It's Wakanda-ish. So I think people <laughs> didn't often pay attention to what was going on there. Um, but I think more recently, um, if you look on our site, we ran a story about some of the king's businesses. Um, I think there is now more and more tension to um, that this, you know, this can't go on. And I, and especially by the Swazi people, I think that that's because they can't rely on the Southern African development community 
They can't rely on the, the African Union or the UN or, you know, the South African businesses. There's a good article on on uh, the new frame today about, you know, MTN, which is the big cellular company that um, switched off the, the internet in Swaziland when the repression started now in the latest uh, the latest round of repression. So they can't trust, they can't trust the, these uh, corporations. They cannot really trust the South Africans to do something about it because the South Africans are the superpower in the region. Um, and so I think finally the people have just had enough, you know? And yeah, it, what this all feels oh, like no. an example. I was wrong, Will. I apologize. Maybe it's because I'm excited I'm in South Africa. I think so, but it's it's good because this is uh, an ongoing injustice that is right next door to us. And I think what's kind of unsurprising, but also extremely disappointing to see is just how tepid the response from the South African government has been, that it has so far not said or done anything other than the usual, we note with concern the ongoing events in Eswatini. And I think one of the reasons why that's the case is that the South African government doesn't want to be seen as undermining the rule of traditional authority in Eswatini so as to not be seen as undermining the rule of traditional authority here in South Africa. Point, and yeah. I think it, it goes back to that it goes back to that classic point that you know Mamdani made in Citizen and Subject about how as African countries democratize, they're going to have to try and walk this fine balance of at the one hand trying to be respectful of the living customary traditions of right. Africans, especially in rural communities, but also knowing that they have to undo the many ways in which those traditions were bastardized by colonialism and how a lot of these authorities were propped up by colonial governments. And so you look at what's happening in Eswatini and you hear radio silence from the South African government, but it's because it doesn't want to, you know, it's like the South African government wants to, to remain in good stead with its power base of traditional leaders. Um, and we're going to talk in a moment with, with Kurt and Boa about a lot of these issues, because for example, when you think of, when you think of a lot of the antics that were happening in, in Gandalf, uh, to use uh, a, an example, it just reminds you about this, like Zuma basically is an unauthorized Zulu king and the actual traditional authorities in of the Zulu nation were trying to call him to order, sort of saying he doesn't represent um, uh, the Zulu nation, the Amabuto, who are these royal military battalions should not have been there uh, walking with him. Um, but then when you hear that sort of thing, you sort of kind of do a double take where you wonder about how you can create these sort of dual systems of, of power and authority in a country. Um, and the Zulu nation, for example, has just undergone a transition where it has a new leadership after uh, the, the previous king passed away and his wife passed away. Um, they are still the biggest custodians of, of land. Um, and there have been many court cases where communities have struggled to exercise control over the land that they live on. And then they hear, no, this is the land that belongs to the king, which is the same thing that happens in Eswatini. So this whole issue sort of just, I think, gets to an underlying lack of political willingness from African countries to be bold in the ways in which they reimagine how traditional authority can work, which is not to say that 
you throw the baby out with the bathwater and the whole thing must be completely overhauled. I don't think anyone sincerely believes that. But I think what they're saying is that, and what the people of Eswatini are saying is that our tradition, our custom must be democratically designed and must be democratically realized. Uh, and the fact that this very basic demand can't be respected by the leaders of, of many countries, uh, I think is a, is a very uh, saddening thing. Uh, and I think we, we want to encourage people to keep up with the reportage. Uh, head over as Sean said to Newframe, which is a great local publication in South Africa, which has been doing some great journalism. Harrowing story where two Newframe journalists, Magnificent Ndebele and Kebelikhe Mbuisa, were, were arrested and tortured. So solidarity with them. Um, but this is a, 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 a situation we have to keep watching and have to and keep Twitter, giving. Twitter, Twitter is also to. a friend for this. Twitter is definitely a friend because the reporting is so sparse. Um, Twitter is definitely your friend when you're trying to keep up with this kind of news. I would just recommend, um, I think the Times of Swaziland, the Podemos, definitely look at look at the Swazi Youth Congress, things that they're tweeting out. I'd recommend that people look at those, yeah. And so now to, to make the transition to the guests we want to talk to today, and we're going to keep unpacking these issues, especially with regards to land. Um, we're very happy to welcome onto the show uh, Kurt Audison and Boaventura Monjane. But before we do that, a reminder to everyone to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, as well as to head over to our Patreon where you can access our archive of episodes. So to now speak to Kurt and Boa, we want to talk to them about We Rise for Our Land, which is a film that they made, and it explores the complexities and contentions of land struggles in three countries in Southern Africa, Eswatini, which we've just been speaking about, Mozambique, as well as Zambia. And alongside the film, there is also a book that has been edited by Boa, which is coming out with Daraja Press uh, called We Rise for Our Land, Struggles and State Repression in Southern Africa. So to tell you a bit more about our guests first before we discuss the film, uh, Boa Ventura Monjane is a postdoctoral researcher at the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies at the University of the Western Cape. He is a fellow at the International Research Group on Authoritarianism and Counter Strategies of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. And he did his PhD at the University of Coimbra about the agency of agrarian movements and their political response to agrarian neoliberalism in Southern Africa. He is the associate producer for Rewrites for Our Land and originally conceived of the idea. And then Kurt Otabenga Audison is an award-winning filmmaker from South Africa. He has worked in over six continents and has directed and produced over 11 feature documentaries, such as the award-winning Not In My Neighborhood. And those have been screened at international film festivals and various broadcast outlets. Kurt is also the founder of Azania Rising Productions, which produced We Rise For Our Land. And it's a company that aims to inspire young people through creative storytelling about Africa and African diasporas. Kurt was also the creative director for the film we are here to discuss. So thank you so much to the both of you for coming onto the program. I suppose uh, a, a good question to start with and thinking about what Sean and I were just talking about now in Eswatini is why this film? Why did you think it was important to make a film about land struggles in Southern Africa? I mean, land we know is a hot button topic uh, in everywhere in Africa, especially given the history of settler colonialism that 
endures and its legacy, which is still strong. So how did you think a film would sort of add to our understanding of, of land struggles and why this film? Uh, Brother Boa. Can you hear us, Boa? Struggling to unmute my microphone. I think you've got it now. You're good. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. Uh, okay. Um, my device uh, shows that my microphone is uh, on silence, but if you can hear me, so I, I'm going to just go uh, ahead. Um, so we, um, we, we thought that uh, it will be um, a powerful thing to document and uh, show um, struggles around land in Southern Africa. Um, and uh, most uh, importantly, uh, you know, profile and highlight the agency of people that are struggling uh, to defend uh, access to land and control over land in their countries uh, in Southern Africa. The film is um, about uh, Mozambique, uh, Eswatini and Zan. But the book is about uh, five other countries apart from uh, uh, we wanted to actually uh, show that there is agency in Southern Africa, uh, that rural people, uh, women, uh, rural women, peasant, uh, young people, young men and young women are not a passive victim of uh, the development that are happening in Southern Africa in terms of, you know, penetration of capital in, 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 in the countryside, occupying their land for the, a variety of, uh, of, of, of things, uh, you know, including um, mining, uh, commercial and uh, industrial agriculture. Tourism, um, developments that are businesses, um, uh, people, but also include uh, 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 political elites and kings, um, as the case of Swatini shows. So we wanted to uh, a political tool for um, uh, information, but also for advocacy uh, towards um, a future that is is um, a film and a book that will, uh, you know, profile and highlight. Uh, uh, of uh, those who are now victims of land grabbing uh, in the region. Um, and uh, I mean, the film has. Cards will. Uh, shows uh, most most importantly uh, the agency of uh, women of rural women rural rural leaders uh, female re leaders that are leading struggles uh, that uh, are uh, about protecting their rights to land their rights to livelihood and their rights to dignity um, so I think that is that that's all I can say for now uh, William and 
Thanks, thanks, boy. Uh, Kurt, is there anything you want to add to that? Jan? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you, um, um, uh, William and Sean. Um, yeah, so so as Boa was saying, um, myself and Boa, we've known each other um, for a number of years, uh, just through activist work and activist uh, circles, and running into each other at like big protests, uh, whether it's in South Africa or somewhere in Swaziland or in the Southern African um, um, uh, district region. And um, Boa approached me uh, with the, the concept document. Um, um, uh, that, that's, that conversation started about two years ago. And we collaborated on this specific film with uh, Sam Moyo, um, 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 African Institute uh, for Agrarian Studies, and um, as, our, as, our, as our partner. And, um, but, but Boa came with the concept document. I basically developed a visual treatment, a visual story, and we collaborated on this project. Um, um, trying to obviously just um, excavate, you know, what is the, 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 the issues on the ground, specifically around uh, the repression um, of, 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 and the criminalization of, of, of land activists. Um, but more importantly also, my, I was really interested in this, in this idea of like, you know, how do we uh, think through ideas around um, restorative justice and, and, and the idea of how cinema can, can be used as a kind of advocacy um, 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 tool, right, uh, to raise an awareness about the issues specifically regarding um, um, land land reform, um, and also more importantly, I think the the aspect of the kind of ecological destruction, right, that has that has been um, caused in the African country, but more specifically in the specific region, Southern African region that we're working in, uh, because obviously these multinational corporations have been getting away, right. Um, um, for, for hundreds in, of, of years. And so I think I was really interested in, you know, um, really um, thinking through this idea of how we can tell a story through women, right? Uh, a woman-led film uh, with, with strong characters and how they can become their own narrative, the narrators um, um, in, 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 in kind of popular culture and more specifically in this film. Can I ask a question at the outset of the film? There is some, you know, comment made about how colonialism shaped, like the land, like the, the, if you want the land regime in Africa. Um, and I think when you keep watching, it's clear that you are also, you don't think that the the independent African states, you know, that came after colonialism actually changed much, which is why there's the, the activism. But I wanted to ask, well, I wanted to ask like a two-part question. One is like. In your research, both I suppose for the book and the film, wh what were the did, did you at any so the, the one is a kind of, I suppose it's a negative question. Did you get to some kind of conclusion that actually independence that on its own independence cannot solve the land question? So that was the one part, and that I suppose you need activism. Um, and is the other part perhaps that we cannot solve these problems unless we tackle them. Um, I suppose globally, you know, like as a, in a in, as a global struggle. So rather than these like separate national struggles, I, in in the film, right? It's Swaziland, Mozambique, and Zambia, um, because there's a sense from the film I got that the independent African state or the new country, the state that came after colonialism, either was unwilling to solve this the question of land hunger, or were was implicated too much in the system of global capitalism as a kind of continuation of colonialism? Um, maybe Boa can go first. 
Can you still hear me? Yes, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, sure. Well, yeah, uh, uh, Jacobs, yeah, definitely. I mean, what, we, what is going on today in Southern Africa is definitely um, a legacy or better, a, a continuation of, uh, of a colonial or imperial uh, agenda and project that uh, did not end with uh, national independence. So that went beyond the historical, uh, the historical colonialism uh, that supposedly ended but it continues through um, uh, the uh, variety of, uh, of mechanisms being uh, the land-grabbing uh, phenomena, one of them. And we uh, have identified that um, uh, many of uh, the uh, actors uh, that are involved in land acquisition and land accumulation and in, in the processes of um, expropriation and appropriation of land are very much linked to uh, former imperial powers. Although we have today newcomers such as Brazil, India, uh, and including South Africa, for instance, in Mozambique, but the bulk of uh, uh, those who uh, continue to accumulate land and ex uh, expropriate local uh, rural people are still linked to the former uh, or current imperial powers about uh, UK, uh, United States, um, and, um, and other actors. So uh, there is not only a legacy of the colonial past, but there is a continuation in, in, in a sense. And uh, of course, today uh, we have a great participation of uh, our local elites, what Fran uh, Francis Fanon would call um, uh, would call a compradorial uh, bourgeoisie in our countries that uh, uh, align and uh, build alliances with the global capital uh, at the expenses of, uh, of, of our people. Uh, the film and the book shows the participation of uh, local elites. Of course, our elites are not victims uh, of that. They are um, part of, of it, although uh, they are in... Uh, in that uh, in that development, and that's not unique to Africa. That's that can be uh, traced, uh, you know, across the, the global south. And of course, yeah, we're not talking about the, uh, the geographical south. So we see this development happening also in some territories of what we can call the global north. Uh, and 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 for that matter, we have actors coming for what we can call global south. So it's very complex. Uh, imperialism has not shifted, but it has, uh, it, it has transformed itself into new forms. Uh, so, so yeah, I agree with, uh, with you, Jacobs. It, it has a very strong colonial legacy and continuation. So we, we see this as a, as a continuation of an, an imperial project that has, um, has found new, new allies and new ways of expressing itself. And we think that land continues to be uh, very crucial for the continuation of an imperial project. Yeah, yeah. I just want to add to, to this idea around the imperial project uh, that's ongoing. I think Chombola is, is a really uh, important reference uh, that's in Zambia, um, the Kapobal region, right? And obviously, you know, going through the history, you know, obviously um, um, in Zambia specifically, 
as the second largest copper um, 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 copper uh, manufacturing or producing country in the world. Um, what I witnessed on the ground um, is to um, seeing all these these multi massive um, um, kind of neo-capitalist multinational corporations coming in there, but who have had a footprint in Zambia for the, for a long time. And so you see this on continu continuation with the with the imperial um, neo-colonial project. And more importantly, I think as the, the, the black bourgeoisie class in that space who are who, are, who have um, um, uh, who have given over the powers to these um, largely European or American superpowers to exploit um, um, the region, but also at, at, the, at, at, the, at, the, at the detrimental impact and an ecological impact of the land and people who are occupying the space in those regions. So you see the, the detrimental impact um, 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 on the land, water pollution, etc. Some of the case studies we, we profile in the film uh, profiles how you know their main source, their water source, was, has been polluted for a number of years and no one is resolving their local state councillor um, is not, you know, helping them because they obviously are, are being paid, right, by these corporations. So th that's the complexity, I guess, also with these neocolonial superpowers um, that's, that, that we are confronted by. So the question is obviously, like, how do we think about, um, uh, you know, restorative justice um, through kind of self-emancipatory processes, right, um, which I'm really interested in. Um, um, how do we build solidarity? Um, and, and and how do we hold the Southern African or the, the, the AU uh, accountable to resolve um, 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 these issues at, at hand? I think this idea of uh, self-emancipatory processes is, is really interesting. One thing that stands out in the film, and you guys mentioned it earlier, that exploring how women are particularly marginalized is how a lot of these rural organizations, whether they are cooperatives or associations, exist not only for the purpose of political organizing against, let's say, a corporate mining project in Zambia or against evictions in Eswatini, but they also exist as these sort of networks of support. Uh, I think one of the, the activists in the film mentions how they're also there to provide advice let's say, to young women. So how do you think that sort of plays a role in, in how people organize? And what I mean by this is when we think of organizing generally, we think about the, you know, the classic Marxist uh, organization of the industrial proletariat, and there's a strict separation uh, between sort of work and life because you leave your house, you go to work at a factory, and then you come back home. But for a lot of the communities affected by this, uh, that separation doesn't exist. The land is their life. It's their homes. It's their community and so on. How do you think that affects uh, the ways in which we think about, about resistance? And, you know, want to link it back to what Sean asked earlier, especially resistance as it happens across borders, given the prevalence of the problem on in Southern Africa. <laughs> Okay, I can I can come uh, in on that. Uh, I think that um, uh, the idea of you know the classical uh, or the classic um, you know way of looking at the resistance, especially uh, through uh, the proletariat and uh, having a factory as a unit of uh, resistance, 
um, it's not uh, necessarily how things work in Southern Africa. Uh, the factory is, is, is the plot of land, is, is the land, is mashamba, as we say in Mozambique, right? And um, the, the capitalist is not, uh, you know, uh, it's not always a visible um, uh, person that uh, controls the means of production in which you can then organize the, the fellow proletariat uh, in towards, you know, either uh, towards bargaining for better wages or towards... Uh, taking the, the means of production, the ways of uh, the ways in which agrarian capital uh, exploit and and, and oppress uh, rural people, especially women, uh, expresses itself in a different way, and the ways that uh, resistance is also organized is different. And now, in the case of uh, Southern Africa, and especially uh, you know what the film and the book shows is that you know uh, people can be exploited and oppressed even in in the absence of uh, of um, expropriation of the means of production so uh, the peasantry can still be uh, ex ex exploited without uh, without uh, you know giving uh, away their land so they may pro uh, control the means of production which means uh, their labor and land but they may not they might not be able to control the processes of production which means controlling the markets, the prices, and how seeds come from, and, and the technology, and all of these things. So they struggle for land, uh, to defend land, or to, uh, or to press land for land reform, um, goes beyond uh, the no notions of, uh, you know, the factory and the notion of, you know, who, you know, who ex you know the notions of how uh, Marx has uh, conceptualized and framed, you know, the, the processes of exploitation and, and oppression. Um, but we, we, we have uh, realized in the research we have done for the film and for the book that um, uh, in Southern Africa, the most vibrant uh, processes of resistance and, and struggles um, uh, have to do with, uh, I mean, they, they, have, they have a very agrarian and rural uh, element and, and uh, yeah, rural and agrarian element. Uh, because we are not, uh, we are not, uh, uh, you know, industrialized region in the world. In fact, there has been a process of deindustrialization in the region. So we we need to reinvent uh, the way in which, you know, labor politics are, are framed uh, and, uh, and and constitute themselves. Uh, and we believe that uh, land, agriculture, rural uh, world uh, has a lot to teach us. And here it's important also to mentioned that land is not uh, only uh, a mean of production in the sense that it's not only um, a mean of you know livelihood there's other dimensions uh, in material dimensions even uh, so the struggle is not not necessarily or only a struggle for um, you know for for livelihood only it's also a struggle for identity belonging uh, and other in material uh, dimensions. Um, so we, so this film and this uh, book shows us that we need to uh, expand our our reading and our lens, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, for 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 understanding uh, processes of uh, exploitation, explosion, but also exploitation, uh, oppression, but also processes of resistance and processes of. Um, 
expressing agency uh, uh, in, in rural and agrarian uh, societies. Bert, do you want to add anything? Or? No, I mean, I, I think I just, in, 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 just to add to what Bo was saying, I think the, 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 the impact of, of, of settler colonialism in a space like Eswatini, um, it's, it's, it's very evident, it's very real. I mean, just my experience, you know, spending a large chunk of time um, uh, working in, in, in Swazla and in Eswatini, not, in, not just for this film, but for, for some other films um, that I've produced in the past. Um, I think now what, in, in the context of, 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 of the fight for reform, the, 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 the fight for democracy, the kind of, and the, and the state repression and state legalized state violence inflicted on, on local activists at the moment. I think there's a, there's a direct correlation, right? To, you know, to the context of how the, the proletariat um, want to dictate how they want to organize themselves, right? Um, under the auspices of their own forms of what, you know, co concepts of democracy and collective security, right? Um, um, we've seen obviously that that the monarchy is compromised, right? Because one is that um, 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 they obviously are bought into the neoliberal project itself, um, and there's a whole long history, obviously, of that, right? Um, in in Southern Africa on the continent, where there's always been an elite, uh, you know, um, who basically then you know kind of dictate, you know, rules of uh, rules of governance in in that, that specific locality. Um, and I think I also just wanted to point out that, that, that Swaziland is a microcosm for what we see happening globally, I think, you know, uh, with the fight for, for land reform, um, uh, the fight for, um, 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 you know, how do we contest kind of, you know, the Roman Dutch laws, the law system itself, right, is compromised. So how do we think through this idea of like um, African customaries, but more specifically pushing this idea around, um, uh, restorative justice specifically, right? And emancipatory practices amongst ourselves outside of the auspices of a European uh, ideology of how do we think about democracy. So I think that's really the contestation and the, at what, we, what we're grappling with. And I think our, our attempt is to pose these questions as filmmakers, as storytellers, as, as, as activists, and to hopefully find you know, some kind of resolution for people then to find resolutions for themselves. So I think I just wanted to add that there. Yeah. Thank you. We want to. We, so thank thank you very much both for coming on. We recommend this film. Um, just quickly, Kurt, where 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 can people watch it? Um, so act, actually, at the moment, it's on the film festival circuit. Uh, just came. Mm -hmm. at, at, it was at, at Encounters, the Encounters Film Festival. Um, it's traveling to a, a number of other film festivals as well. Um, hopefully, we're trying to push it really on the continent. Uh, it's it's going to Europe as well, um, in the States, uh, Canada. Um, um, but we obviously are always, if people are interested, just contact us. We can, you know, provide an online screener, you know, for people to, because we want want people to watch the film. Excellent. Thank, thank you very much. One more, one more, one more. One more. When, when can we expect publication of the book? Because yes, I yes. imagine it's also coming out soon, right? Yes, the book is in fact published by the Raja Press. Uh, anyone can uh, get a copy. Uh, but we are organizing a launch for August, uh, uh, mid-August, uh, and it's going to be in Lilongwe, Malawi, uh, in the context of uh, the People's uh, Summit, Sadek People's Summit. It's a parallel uh, social movement event that happens, um, you know, uh, in parallel of the heads of states and, and you know, presidents of Sadek that uh, happens uh, annually, every year.
and this year is gonna be in the long way. So we're going to uh, launch the book there. But uh, from now on, the book can be bought online uh, um, on uh, the, the the Raja Press website. Yeah, I also just want to add, sorry, so the film just, uh, it just picked up a distribution deal through New Day Films. Um, it's a distribution company in the US uh, and they have a footprint um, only in the US. I'm pushing them to kind of get it on the continent, but it's the US, um, Canada, Germany and Japan. So yeah, I mean, the film is accessible now. It's New Day Films. If people are interested, just go on the website and you can stream it basically. Well, thank you very much both for coming on that. We really appreciate it. Um, I know uh, Boa said it's like, it's uh, it's dark and late. Well, not late, it's just evening already. And it sounds like people are very, are, are enjoying themselves over there, uh, having a having a nice evening. <laughs> we are sitting in a cold room in Cape Town. In any case, our next guest, thanks guys for coming on. Thank our you so much. Guest, thank you so much, Will, Sean, uh, thank you. Kurt, we'll have you back another time to talk about documentary films, right? Yes, my brother. Yeah. yeah. Okay, see so, you guys. Okay, bye. -bye. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you, see you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Bye bye. Okay. Excellent, excellent. So, our next guest, we're just going to make a quick transition because we are running a little bit behind time, but we're going to give him the proper respect. Is uh, Dylan Valley, who is, uh, you guys know him, he's an Africa's a Country board member um, and an award winning filmmaker and lecturer at the University of Cape Town. And he, um, actually, I think, oh, I think well wrote, well wrote that this man is prolific. I'm just repeating it, Dylan, you are prolific. Um, um, and what brings him on today is that he is the creative advisor for Black Women Disrupt the Web. Um, and I'll, I'll ask him about it in a minute. Black Women Disrupt the Web is a global competition to produce an original web series showcase. The call for entries aims to attract proposals from Black women, writer-directors from Brazil, Colombia, Kenya, and South Africa for three three-minute episodes providing perspectives on the theme, Imagining Black Futures. Can you say a little bit about that, Dylan, about the history of this, like how this came about? Um, and just like how we, and tell us a little bit about, because I know it's a competition, like where we are in the competition right now, um, et cetera. But start maybe perhaps in where does this idea come from? Who's involved? Just so people can get an idea about it. Okay, thanks. Hey, Sean, hey, Will. Great to see you guys again, and welcome, Sean, to the motherland. Uh, it's, it's great to have you back. So, um, yeah, so Black Women Disrupt the Web um, essentially um, came out of a discussion that um, a friend and I had, uh, Zakia Carl Johnson, who's our partner in this project. And uh, Zakia has an organization called Black Women Disrupt, and um, I have been doing this research on web series um, in my academic work and looking at how uh, web, black women were basically using web series as a way to overcome industry gatekeepers. And, um, you, you know, I was actually at the beginning of my research, I was kind of looking at web series more broadly at this form. But through the, the, the work, I realized the most groundbreaking uh, web series were actually being done by black women because black women have traditionally being marginalized in uh, film and television. So the, mo so the most um, kind of st standout web series were usually done by black women, like Business um, Adventures for Black Girl by Issa Rae, which uh, through the creation of that became um, insecure, you know, HBO is insecure. And so there's different examples of this. Issa is not the only example. 
Um, and so through this discussion, we decided to, to partner up. Um, we met through this fellowship called Atlantic Fellows for Racial Equity. And um, Atlantic Fellows also uh, gave us the seed money to start the uh, project. So shout out to Atlantic uh, Fellows for that one. And so, um, so that was the, the beginning of, of this idea. And we decided why not commission uh, five web series. I'd already been doing this as a class at Bits. So shout out to my web series class. I hope you guys are watching that. <laughs> and we, we, we had kind of already piloted this idea and made three times three web series and so on. And so we decided to do this with five web series from around the continent, uh, from around the continent and also in, in South America. So there's two, uh, two countries in, in Africa, two countries in South America. And we're kind of looking at, um, you know, just focusing on the work of black women and seeing, you know, what kind of uh, web series they'd be interested in making. And in a way, it was kind of just a, um, a, a way to, to channel uh, energy into the work of black women and also like the, the resources that we had. And, um, and so where we are, at the, uh, the place we're at now is that all the web series are basically done. And on Saturday, we're having a live showcase on Quelly TV. Um, by the way, thanks also to Africa as a country for the support as coming on as a partner. And so uh, we will be showing, um, we'll be showing all the web series on Quelly TV. So if you haven't heard of Quelly, basically a really great streaming platform based in the US that's looking at um, Africa and the diaspora in terms of the content, uh, the content on there. So it's like Netflix, uh, but for black content, basically. I would put it. <laughs> and, and so, so it's really great. I recommend you know getting a subscription, but also just check out um, the showcase. So we'll be showing all the web series on there, and that's where we are at the moment with the with the process. I wanted to ask a question about the web series as format you were talking just now about how black women really pioneered the web series as a cinematic format what do you think it, it is about the web series which presented an opportunity to people who are foreclosed from traditional formats from being able to tell their stories and what do you think it offers as a format that other traditional forms don't i mean I'm thinking back to the conversation we had when you were last on the episode, uh, and that was a conversation about Netflix and its influence in Africa. And we were having a little bit of a debate there about you know, the obsolescence or not of the auteur filmmaker. When people think about um, cinema in Africa, they will always think about these giants um, who were auteurs. And as you pointed out then, which I thought was a valid thing to point out, the majority of them are men, but now thinking back, uh, thinking now to the contemporary moment, uh, the people who are pioneering this new format are are women. So, can you talk a little bit more about uh, about web series and what drew you yourself into your research into the web series? Yeah, so yeah, that's a great question, and I hope I'll be able to answer it well. But basically, for me, um, the reason why web series has been so uh, successful in in you know, like highlighting the work of people who normally would have been marginalized, like black women in film and TV, is because of its kind of amorphous form. There's no one right or wrong way to do it. 
um, especially uh, around the time when Booker Blackwell was getting made, so around, you know, just after 2010, so around 2013, 2015. Um, and basically, it was this new, it was new idea, this new form, which had actually been around since the 90s. But um, it's the because of its kind of amorphous nature, people were able to make up with what they wanted to. There was no there's no one telling you what to do, how to do it. Um, and I think that people at that time also, uh, where YouTube was kind of coming of age, people were also turning away from uh, mainstream television because there weren't shows like Insecure on TV at the time. Um, and now we're in a context where, especially in the West, there's like a plethora of um, what we could call like African-American content and also um, that's obviously spills over to the rest of us because of the way in which these kind of global cultural pro products flow. Um, but at the time, there was really what uh, Issa even called like a dearth of black content on television. So um, in that context, there was a flourishing of, of not only um, of black content on, on, on the web, but also things like um, shows that were, you know, queer and, you know, things that you wouldn't see on TV. And I think the internet is important, is an important space for that kind of thing. The internet should always be a place where you can see stuff that you wouldn't normally see on mainstream television. And I think that um, in different ways, we've seen how um, the internet has actually influenced mainstream television. Uh, not the internet just as a, as a, as a thing in itself, but the people who are making cultural products on the internet who were normally shut out of uh, traditional media. So um, I hope that answers the mm -hmm. question. I mean, I, I was gonna, just as a follow-up on that, I think it's interesting that you and I, I wanted to get to the films that are the, the finalists, but one of the things I thought was interesting about what the web series on YouTube allows when you said something about the diversity of the content, for example, Awkward black girl, I think, is much more kind of somebody who is, I wouldn't say like lower middle class, but sort of working, who is uh, who 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 doesn't have a necessarily like a a really secure job. I think she's like a temp, and most of her friends they seem to they they sort of seem to live on the fly. Whereas with insecure, they kind of set it in a much more uh, kind of um, aspiring, more glossy black middle class. When it got to television, like once it got to HBO, to, to your point about the kind of variety that you get with web series and you get on YouTube, I think it's interesting that that's the contrast. I think Inse so Insecure, when it got to HBO, when, when she got to HBO, it got more glossy. I think that's my sort of sense. I'd be curious how you, what you think of that. Um, Maybe answer that first because I want to see if you disagree with my comment on that, and I want to ask about the the the, the films for the finalists. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Insecure is, in a way, it's completely different to Oka Black Girl, um, and I think you know, um, I just have to say kudos to Issa Rae though for managing managing to keep kind of the spirit of what she was trying to do alive. Um, even though Insecure is very glossy, I think they were they were able to create something that still was very authentic and true to the to her voice. And she was able to kind of own her voice. And I think also by that point, to be honest, she probably moved on from 
the kind of humor of Open Black Girl and YouTube humor. And she knew that in transitioning to television, she had to do a little bit more. Like you couldn't just do like the, the same kind of short form humor and kind of more slapstick stuff wasn't necessarily going to work for a whole show. So, so um, one thing that did happen though, I mean, the making of, in the run up to the making of Insecure was that different networks were trying to get her to change her idea all the time. And so it took a few years to actually be able to make something that she felt comfortable with putting out there because um, in one of the interviews she was saying like, you know, the, she would meet with the network and they'd say, we love everything about the show that, you, that you're pitching, you just want to change the main character. Mm -hmm. Like we don't need to play, we want to get somebody who's light skinned, we want to do this and that. Um, and she had different versions of this conversation over and over and over. So um, in, the, in, in the end, HBO were the ones who kind of gave her the, the best kind of creative freedom, which allowed her to, to make what she wanted to make. But I think it's, I think there's also like a progression in terms of her own artistic voice, I would say. But it was, it was definitely the, the her background in web series which allowed her to, to get there. Because she, she didn't start with like she had been making web series and had been on the grind for quite a long time, for years actually. And uh, Awkward Black Girl was the web series that like, gained all this attention people like Pharrell and other celebrities. And, um, and so, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the finalists. So there are five finalists and we, we, we had an opportunity, Will and I, um, to watch the films. And I, and I think, I mean, I'd like for you to say more about it, but I think it was curious. I found it interesting that they all, they're very different kinds of stories, very different kind of approaches. One is a sort of almost self-referential kind of the Brazilian film by Joyce Cursino. It's like, I'm gonna, it's about somebody who's making a film there's a film I also about a, a sort of very working class, um, ta like a like a taxi. She's <laughs> on screen now. I suppose like taxi guard on a yeah. matatu in Kenya. There's a there's a there's a film about kind of relationships, um, the boundaries of relationships. Well, not film. Sorry, let me say web series. See, I'm 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 an old guy. <laughs> Can you have old web series? Yeah, um, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Um, and I really, I, I, and, and also there's um, uh, Noma, Noma Wonga Kumalo's um, sort of more kind of, it's very more exper experimental, like in terms of the, the, who, 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 who the characters are and, and almost like if you want gender bending, like, like the way that it's, that it was made. So I, I was really, I was curious in like how you pick them, um, uh, what were you trying to, achieve by picking these people, by picking these people? Because I, as I said, I was really struck by how different they are, how different these these five films are in their approach, in their look, and their style. Yeah, so we definitely wanted that kind of diversity of voices, um, diversity of approaches, genres. Um, and we had a group of readers who basically selected which, uh, which proposals we're going to accept. So, so us as the core team didn't actually choose these, to be honest. We had a, we had a, uh, we, we did, we were part of the discussions, but there were a group of readers who basically, uh, you know, and from all these countries who uh, selected these web series and we had a final discussion where we kind of approved them or not. Um, and, but the, the idea behind it was to, uh, 
was definitely to to not do one kind of thing and to also present web series as a format, something that could be anything. It didn't have to be what we generally think of web series, which is you know comedy. And uh, so we we also just wanted to uh, see what would happen. We we didn't want to give too much direction in terms of where it should go. We had a theme which was a black liberatory futures, but we didn't actually, um, I don't think we really uh, were sticklers about it. And we just really wanted people to to be able to, the filmmakers to really do their thing. Like if there was really an idea that they really want to get off their chest, that was the, the idea we would want them to do. And, uh, and I think you can see it in the way that everything, everybody has their own voice, like there's a very definitive voice in every web series. So, uh, so yes, we're very happy about that as well. And I mean, is there any reason why, so it's two countries from Africa and two countries from Latin America. I'm curious to hear why those countries were picked. Maybe it was for practicality's sake, um, but in addition to that, do you think, I think as much as the films were diverse, I think sometimes you would notice that there would be sort of, I guess, recurring themes or I guess aesthetics um, based on, on geography. So um, I thought uh, some of the South African films, for example, had similar looks and feels um, applicable as well to the Latin American films. Um, is that something that just so happens to be the case with the five semi-finalists? Um, or from what you know, is that something that uh, I think is, is much more observable across the board? Um, and what do you think that says about um, the way film is approached based on, on different uh, national contexts? And can I, can I just add to that? I also was struck by how the, the two South African films, for me perhaps, uh, reflect the kind of, I suppose, like questions or where South Africa is now, like where where young people in South Africa were particularly women, like what women, uh, you know, sexuality, um, gender relations, relationships. It's it it it's very much you know the emergence of kind of new middle classes and so the kind of worlds that they have to have to go through and so on. I thought that that was black when I mean when I'm saying like black middle classes, and I think that was interesting in in what the South, the South African films in that way is very different, I suppose, from the other films. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting the similarities that you that you're speaking about in terms of geography and yeah, I think it does like like Sean, I think what you're getting to is that there is some shared experience based on, on geography. Um, in fact, one of the actors which we didn't know to saw the one is the actor who's in both South African um, productions. And I don't know if he knew or you, that it was the same. I'm giving it a thought to pay to see if I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely differences in, in approaches based on geography. I think, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to comment, you know, really like on Latin American cinema at the moment um, in terms of what, you know, what observations I could have there. But in terms of South Africa, I know that we're still developing a national cinema we're still, we're still trying to develop our voice. And I think it reflects that generally we don't really know who we are yet. Like we're still under the myth, we're still coming out of that myth of the rainbow nation. And so we're in a post-transition, I think our cinema now represents kind of post-transition cinema, 
But it's like, okay, we're not in transition anymore, but what are we now? And, um, and yeah, I think it's really interesting to watch what people are coming up with now because they were also in a post-feasible whole generation. And so a lot of these uh, questions around intersectionality and those kind of things, you see it in South African cinema now. And uh, I think that's also why the work by women is also interesting, and black women particularly, because um, in South Africa, black women weren't allowed to make films for a long time and uh, were not written into the history of South African cinema. So, um, so I think this is also why it's exciting now. And I, ideally, you know, I shouldn't be the one, you know, as a man talking about this. Um, so I just want to point that out. But uh, it's also important for men to lift up the work of black women. So that's that's why I'm, I'm also doing uh, this project. I tried not to be the face of it. I, I know, yeah. We, you know, we don't want to apologize <laughs> to you, but we know that the... the um, the one of the people is, is producing our program, and yes. the, the other person could not be available. So um, yeah, so it, it's it it's it's just happened that you that you came on um, to represent the the series. Yeah, so it's it's not you know. Anyway, I'm gonna dig. We're gonna one, dig. One thing out. I want to say. One thing I want to say, which is you know, while we're while we're on this thread, one thing that I also found surprising, and I think this this reveals the way I think you're socialized into expecting uh, or what your expectations are of, of cinema made by women are, is that, you know, I, I came in before watching these films sort of expecting womanhood to be front and center in a very kind of obvious and explicit way. And I think that's how sort of uh, it's stereotyped. And I think how probably if you are part of any marginalized group, you're kind of raised to be, you're raised to tell, tell your story in a very kind of obvious and explicit way. But I think after watching the films, I was actually quite surprised by how sort of subtle the themes are raised. Um, that you you would watch, you could watch these films and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think that there are submissions for a, a competition called Black Women Disrupt the Web. There could be made by men, they could be made by anyone is, is the one thing that I, uh, um, that I thought were interesting. So it's, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know what that represents necessarily, but I think it also kind of suggests that we're moving past this idea that uh, identity and representation has to be interpreted in a very kind of simplistic, uh, one dimensional and straightforward way where you can make a film about being a woman where your experience of womanhood isn't uh, is is complex, and I think that was something that I thought was 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 shown by these films. Yeah, and also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Sean. To to go back to Issa Rae's work again, um, that's something that she's spoken about a lot, which is about this idea of complexity, and that for her it wasn't that. Uh, black women were underrepresented in television. It was that it was the types of representations with these very simplistic, stereotypical kind of uh, represent, representation of the time. This was, a, this was a time of like flavor of love and uh, shows like this. It was like uh, it was like a gap between after we had shows, more interesting shows like girlfriends and things like that, when it became kind of like this very one-dimensional thing. So. Um, 
So yes, yeah, so totally, uh, your observations are like spot on there. No, no, I, I think I have to move because I, this is the technical aspects of things. My computer might die. Sorry for that. But I just was going to say, I thought that one of the things I really enjoyed about the Matatu film, I forgot the title of it now, by the young Kenyan director. Yes, Tim Wada, the, the final title was. Yeah. There was something about it that was sort of, there was, there was a way in which it depicted a sort of like innocence about kind of falling in love and also about kind of just like gestures that some of the characters would do when they were around each other there was i mean these films are there was some yeah some some then there's another film you know which we don't want to give away too much but there's also the film with the with the the, the threesome the, the couple in Joburg, which is completely the opposite it's like the 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 the, the tone is a completely different kind of film it's a much more three uh, three's a crowd <laughs> That's the title of the is three a crowd um, is the title of that uh, that web series. I keep calling them films, but yeah, there's so much. I really enjoyed like this kind of the diversity between between these uh, different kinds of uh, Carolina Wambui is the director of the the Kenyan film. Um, yeah, I really like just the, the really nice diversity of and that they each hit um, kind of differently. They don't all hit at the 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 same way. The South African the the um, uh, uh, I think the Kumalo, right? Her film is much more. Sorry, no more yeah. wonder. Yeah, yeah. Her film is a little bit more, almost like more sort of like theater, like a kind of a one act, like a play, like 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 actors in a play. Like this, you have to sort of like, you know, view it first, like you're watching a play, and then you've got to like suspend that and just make, like if you at a play, you do that, and then you kind of, you know, kind of just enjoy what you're watching but there's a way in which he kind of tries to disrupt disrupt gender yeah anyway we wanted to um can we say what our favorite is or should we leave it to the to the <laughs> let's watch it on saturday let's watch it on saturday on quelly tv like everyone saturday, should TV, like everybody else and then say what we like yeah yeah this wait for wait for saturday um it's 6 p.m south african time I think that's 10 a.m. Eastern time, um, and so yeah, on that, uh, yeah. 12 Eastern, and um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be good, and uh, and uh, we'll be presenting uh, the kind of combination of it. And we'll be presenting the winner. So we're going to announce who won the, the competition, and they will also be receiving an extra prize and. Uh, all of this, all of these accolades and amazing things. So, please do tune <laughs> in for that. Maybe a question to ask now, and we're we're looking forward to Saturday. Is is sort of you know what's next for for Black Women Disrupt as a project? So yes, this competition is wrapping off. A winner is going to be announced. There's going to be these awesome accolades. People are going to watch on Quelly TV. Um, what's next for trying to? To continue this this project of uh, unearthing, um, I was going to call it, you know, cinema, uh, African cinema, but through uh, this novel format of of the web series. Antoinette says they they a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be it's a bit long break. You know, we've been working on this since uh, early last year, actually 20, late twenty nineteen, I would say. And we'll meet, so we've been working on it like all year last year during the pandemic, 
uh, you know, when it kicked off. And so it's really been a layer of luck for everybody involved and all the partners. And this is, a, this is like a pilot idea. Um, so we'll see, you know, Zakia's um, organization is Black Women Disrupt and she's been running it for many years. So Black Women Disrupt will still exist. We'll, uh, we'll also possibly do this again, you know, as another web series show showcase. Um, but for now we have to kind of, this is our pilot and see how it goes. And I know that all the filmmakers are definitely going to be doing great work um, and have been doing great work. Um, and uh, yeah, have really inspired us all. And uh, so I would, I would really say also watch out for what they do next. I think that's a really important uh, question because um, they all have such great, very um, strong voices. Uh, all have something to say. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next for them. Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully for us as well. So. I actually just want to make a web series next, so, <laughs> so that, I'm going to be directing one next. So uh, I got to get the get writing on that one. So uh, yeah, I just I just want to say, Dylan. I mean, I'm not asking for favors, but many years back, I used to act. So if you're thinking of <laughs> people to sort of participate actorally in your web series, I'm sure. available. <laughs> I, I played a doctor. I played a doctor in uh, in, a in a student film when I was teaching at Hunter. One of the students was making a film and asked me to play a play a doctor. Where I wore a white coat and some kid came into the room. He pretended to be a soldier coming back from Iraq, but I said nothing. I think I just had to like nod. <laughs> like this is on me. They shot me from the back of my head. That was my my one. Uh, um, big acting scene in a, in a in a in a series or in a little film, yeah. But any case, yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, thanks for the CVs, guys. We'll be getting back to you. We we can disrupt the web too. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. You guys are really disrupting the web every Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, Dylan, thank you, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, Dylan, who is a repeated guest in the show, he's going to keep coming back. Um, I'm sure for him, this is also a labor of love, um, and we're grateful. And uh, please, everyone, do check out uh, the Black Women Disrupt web series competition showcase this Saturday on Quelly TV. Check all of our socials on Africa's a Country to keep up with that. That's on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And once again, thank you very much to the guests we had earlier, Boa Monjane, as well as Kurt Audison, who spoke about We Rise for Our Land. That's another film that you can check out on all of the places that it's available. Uh, we're really excited to see all of these exciting uh, cinematic projects uh, on the continent, and we seriously encourage everyone to check them out. Uh, so thanks to our guests. Thanks to my co-host, Sean Jacobs. We've just concluded very, recording an episode. Yeah. It's very ah. weird to record. It's very weird to record an episode at night because normally for me, it's like at 12 well, Welcome to our world. <laughs> I'm like looking outside and it's the city is dark and the people are probably going to eat dinner now. And I was like, wow, okay. it's uh, I have to do this at night. This is interesting. So I'll be back next week for one more week 
um, to do it at night uh, before, unfortunately, I have to return um, to, I, I don't want to call it, it's not Champland anymore. It's a little better now, to be honest. Um, and it's been interesting to be here to like make sense of kind of what's going on in South Africa, I have to say. Yeah. But thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening, people. And see everybody next week again. Thanks, Dylan. And thank thanks you to Antoinette Engel, our producer, who, as we mentioned earlier, is also part of the Black Women Disrupt the Web uh, competition. But unfortunately, she has to produce the show. We would be nowhere without her. So uh, I think we, we, tried, to, we tried to entice her. We like, Antoinette, come on the show. But she said, no, she has to produce. I don't know how, I'm not sure how you can do both at the same time, but yeah. We'll I don't think sure. you can. So <laughs> we're grateful that Antoinette thank is producing. Thank you, thank so thank you Antoinette. Black Women Disrupt the Web on Saturday. We'll be watching. Excellent. Thank you to our viewers and we'll see you next time.